This episode is part of the transformational podcast Systems in Motion. If you want to learn more about the leverage points, please listen to the opening episode. You always wanted to understand what emission trading is about? Lila introduces you to the EU trading emission system and highlights challenges, impacts and instruments. Our climate is changing. Bushfires in Australia, floodings in Central Europe and hurricanes at the US coast are only some signs that the hospitality of our environment is deteriorating at an alarming rate. The drivers of this process are clear. Human-made greenhouse gas emissions are heating up the air and turning the oceans sour, triggering a variety of feedback loops that profoundly change the global climate system we are used to. My name is Laila and I will introduce to you today the European Emissions Trading System as one of the many instruments that attempt to tackle this challenge. The paradigm of unlimited growth, and a question at least since the Club of Rome report from 1972, is still prevalent and until we manage to shift our collective mindset and create the utopia of a convivialist, sustainable and carbon neutral society, we need to find other solutions within this paradigm to slow the approaching avalanche of the climate catastrophe. So I don't have a leverage point one or two for you today. The instrument I'm presenting has its place a little further down the ladder, which makes it easier to implement and the effects, if less impactful, kick in a lot faster. In theory at least, but I will come to that later. If the paradigm is economic growth, then the currency is money. Monetary incentives for greenhouse gas reduction have the appeal that the system itself doesn't really have to change for them to take effect. In 2005, the European Union was the first to implement their emissions trading system. The ETS, as it's called, covers the emission of CO2 and other greenhouse gases in the sectors of electricity and heat production, energy-intensive industry as well as aviation within European borders, accounting for around 40% of total emissions. It includes the 31 countries of the European Economic Area, meaning the 27 EU member states plus Iceland, Liechtenstein and Norway. So how does it work? Does it actually work as it's supposed to? And if not, how can we fix it? The ETS is a mandatory system which sets rules for carbon emissions within its scope. So you will notice we are dealing with a leverage point number five here. Its purpose is to implement, through a market and therefore demand-driven carbon price, a balancing feedback loop, which you will recognize as a leverage point number eight. Every installation within the ETS sectors is obligated to purchase enough emission certificates, also called allowances, to cover the amount of CO2 they expect to emit within the year. Each allowance covering the emission of one ton of CO2 or equivalent amount of a different greenhouse gas. At the end of the year they declare their emissions, which are verified by an auditor, and surrender the appropriate amount of allowances. If they don't have enough allowances to cover their emissions, they have to face penalties. Allowances can be traded between companies, which is meant to ensure that the abatement cost is kept as low as possible and the whole process is cost efficient. Let's take an example to clarify this. The owner of a factory A estimates that they will emit 100,000 tons of CO2 in 2020. Over the course of the year, they modernize their production so they don't emit as much as they had planned and have more allowances than they need. 
One option now would be to keep the surplus for the next year, but maybe they need to cover their investments and could use some extra income, so they put the extra allowances up for sale for a price of, say, 20 euros each. Which for them is a fair deal, since the modernization only costs them around 10 euros per ton of CO2. Factory B, on the other hand, is struggling to reduce their emissions, because modernization of the infrastructure would be rather expensive and they would have to invest at least 30 euros per ton of CO2 reduction. So they see these allowances for sale at only two-thirds of the price they would have to pay to reduce their emissions themselves. They pay factory A 20 euros per ton for the allowances they need, saving 10 euros per ton in the process, with factory A making a gain of 10 euros and everyone is happy. So this is what happens in trading, but let's bring a little more clarity into where the allowances come from in the first place. There is a predefined number of new allowances issued each year, which are distributed according to national allocation plans. An ever-decreasing part of them is allocated for free, based on an average performance of the installation types. The rest is put up for auction. Member states are obliged to use at least 50% of the revenues from these auctions for climate and energy related purposes, creating a double benefit for emission reduction. Part of the revenues is also set aside into the innovation fund, for which member states can apply with project proposals for the development of innovative technologies. An additional 2% of auction allowances are also used to feed the modernization fund that goes into fostering modernization of infrastructure in lower income countries. When the ETS started in 2005, demand was strongly overestimated, which resulted in a massive surplus of certificates on the market, effectively rendering the whole system non-functional. If there is no shortage, then there is no real incentive for reduction, and in fact the price for the certificates sank as low as 1 euro. Over the following years there were several readjustments, tapping the leverage point number 12 of numbers and parameters. Right now, we are starting into the fourth trade period, with the carbon price being estimated to reach up to 90 euros by 2030 and the number of allowances available being reduced by 2.2% each year. An additional mechanism providing resilience to shocks in the system that cause high fluctuation in demand, such as a financial crisis or a pandemic, is the market stability reserve. If the number of unallocated allowances exceeds a certain limit, these are put in a reserve instead of being auctioned to avoid excessive surplus on the market. This creates a buffer, which you will remember is leverage point number 11. At this point I would like to draw your attention to some of the shortcomings of the ETS and supplementary institutions put into place to address them. One issue you will have noticed early on is that the ETS only covers a selective part of the industry, with sectors like building or agriculture being neglected, despite being responsible for a big share of emissions. Those sectors, including also waste management, transport and small industry, representing a total of 55% of EU emissions, are however represented in the so-called ESR, the Effort Sharing Regulation, setting binding annual limits for emissions in the member states. Another issue that always comes into play with an instrument not covering all countries worldwide is the risk of carbon leakage, meaning that carbon-intensive industry might simply shift their production sites to non-member countries and thereby avoid accountability within the system. To address this risk, the EU is now introducing the so-called Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism. 
This mechanism will oblige EU importers to buy certificates for imported goods as if they had been produced within the EU, unless the non-EU exporter can prove they have already paid for the carbon emitted in the production in their country. Speaking of non-EU countries, how is the situation there? Do similar systems exist elsewhere and what can a cooperation between them look like? Of course, the appeal of a market-driven instrument for emission reduction hasn't only occurred to the European Union. Emission trading systems are in place or currently being developed all over the world. The ETS legislation offers the possibility to link with other systems as long as their ways of functioning are compatible. There is, for example, already a link in place with the system of Switzerland that entered into force at the beginning of 2020, and there has been close cooperation with China in setting up their system. And even within the EU, some countries have their own additional ways of carbon pricing. Germany is one example, currently establishing a national emission trading system for the transport and building sector, not covered by the EU CTS. One cornerstone for international trading has been set with Article 6 of the Paris Agreement, defining conditions for emission trading between UN member states. The concrete design and implementation of this mechanism is however still subject of debate. So now I have explained how the ETS works, illustrated some of its shortcomings and cast a view out beyond its borders. What is the bottom line? Is an instrument like the ETS an effective tool for combating the anthropogenic greenhouse effect? According to the State of the ETS report published in April 2021, a variety of stakeholders agree that it is on a good track in reaching its key deliverables. Though separating the effect of the mechanism from effects of other legislation is difficult, at least some of the development in carbon reduction and technological innovation can be attributed to the ETS. The price signal caused by the cap-and-trade system has led to increased fuel switching from coal to gas and promoted the deployment of renewable energy technologies. In fact, it exceeded its environmental targets, with emissions dropping at a faster rate than the ETS cap and the 2030 goal being almost reached in 2020 already. However, reaching goals doesn't tell us much when the goals aren't aligned with reality. And as you know, the EU recently raised its reduction targets to 55% by 2030 which the ETS will now have to adjust to. So you see, an instrument is only as strong as its calibration and there is a reason why the leverage point of goals is among the top three. With this, I thank you for your attention. I hope I could shed some light on an important piece of EU climate legislation and I leave you now to enjoy the rest of the podcast. This episode was produced in cooperation with Meet Studios.